Hello and a massively warm welcome to the Brand Stylist podcast. I have got such a treat for you today. I've got the amazing Sophie Robinson, who is a TV presenter, interior stylist and all round fabulous woman. Sophie is such an inspiration. She's incredibly good at what she does and she manages to make it look so fun along the way. And in this episode, we talk about how to get yourself onto telly, how to get brands coming to you for your best work and how to wear big earrings for three days. So I hope that you love it. So welcome, Sophie Robinson. How lovely to have you here. It's an absolute pleasure, Fiona. You know, I always love to chat to you. Oh, we're going to have so much fun. So Sophie, for those of you that don't know, is a TV presenter. She's a stylist and all round fabulous. Why don't you explain (laughs) to people what you do, Sophie? Yeah, well, no, it's true. You can't really pigeonhole me, can you? So um, I suppose overarchingly, I have a big reputation in the industry for being someone who is all about colour. And I communicate that across all my platforms. I've got a really vibrant, colourful Instagram feed. I also have my blog. I run courses, you know, some of them with yourself (laughs) on colour and how to use that in interior design. And then obviously I also host events and do some TV shows as well, which tend to have my colourful stamp on them too. So yeah, that's enough to keep me busy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And you are really busy at the moment, aren't you? I mean, you seem like you've never been busier or more successful. Yeah, that's really interesting. You're right. I am really busy and 2018 has been insane and a big year for me and lots and lots of change and what's interesting I think so okay so what am I busy doing let's recap on that so essentially yes I run courses but I also do quite a lot of brand collaborations that's a really big um, avenue of revenue for me where I partner up with brands I love to produce content or host events or run workshops and then also still doing a little bit of TV. I just done a couple of DIY SOS episodes this year. And also, excitingly, a new interior show for BBC Two, which is going to launch next spring. But really what I found this year is I got to a point, it was kind of springtime this year, where I was just really not enjoying my job. And I was thinking, this is insane. I'm getting the most wonderful brands to work with. They all want me to express my love of colour through the projects we do together. I should seriously be as high as a kite right now. But I wasn't. And it was just because I've always been a sole trader. It's always just been me. I've been freelance now since 2005. It was a big wake-up call that I actually need other people to come on board and help me out if I'm going to keep going this way. So that was really exciting. I took on a business coach, a PA and a interiors assistant. And it was so hilarious. When I first took on the PA, I thought, God, only like CEOs are really big companies. <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't get around it. And then she said she'd do a minimum of five hours a week. And I thought, well, I'm never going to find five hours worth. <laughs> I think she's currently on 15 to 20 hours a week for me at the moment. I remember having a PA in my last job and I just was walking around for weeks going what's it going to take to get an extra day in the week and that's when you know you need one isn't it oh that's great to look at it actually yeah she is like my day of the week eighth day of the week and I remember phoning her and saying I know I need some help but I don't know what I'm going to get you to do and she said well keep a diary over a week and then come back to me 
Uh, she said, keep a diary of all the things you think you shouldn't be doing. Come back to me. I phoned her back within an hour. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's how quickly I'd filled that time. So now you've got your PA. That must be amazing. What's so amazing is Maria's come on board really to take off everything that doesn't need me to do it. Now, one of the reasons why she's doing so many hours for me right now is she's getting my finances in order because that was one of the areas in my business that was getting really ignored. At the end of the day, I'm a creative. I love making beautiful photographs and lovely room schemes. I don't really like filing my receipts and balancing the book. So, but with the volume of work that I've been putting through lately, you know, you couldn't get away with that for much longer. So she's getting my housekeeping in order. And then she also manages my diary, which again can be quite frenetic. Like I'm doing lots of different projects and have lots of different deadlines. So I find the thread of my business quite hard to follow sometimes. So she's really good gatekeeper of making sure that I'm not clashing dates, taking on too much, that everything gets spaced out lovely. And I don't forget stuff either. And then she also just helps with all the other little admin bits, like booking the doggy daycare and... (laughs) And I think the thing I'm quite jealous of is that she also, she can make those tough tough decisions on your behalf, can't she? Without sort of getting in the way of Sophie the brand, she can be tougher than Sophie yeah, the lovely. Yeah, because I'm yeah. not tougher to so yeah. Yeah, I really yeah. need her for that. Actually, also my business coach, Elizabeth, is really amazing at that too. I remember like earlier this year, I had a travel brand get in touch and they wanted to send me on holiday. How nice. To, like, wherever- Exactly. Yeah, I'd be up for that. Anyone that's listening, by the way, I'll take that. Well, Elizabeth was like, no, Sophie, it's not your brand. You are not somebody who goes on holiday for free. And I just was, you know, it was a hard pill to swallow. It was absolutely right. That isn't what I do. I'm all about interior design and colour and not about posting pictures of myself in a sun lounger. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, sometimes you need people around you to be... Yeah, stricter with yourself than you would be otherwise. Yeah, definitely. So right now, things are going fabulously well. How did you get to this point? I mean, how do you get to that point where you're on the telly and you've got these brands approaching you and, you know, and you've got people coming on all your courses and your workshops? How do you get to that point? Okay, so I think, first of all, let's tackle the TV question. How do you get a career on TV? You know, million dollar question. And my answer is, I think it's a really difficult thing to manifest. I've been lucky over the years. So um, I got my first sort of telly job in 2005 for 60 Minute Makeover. And a friend of my brother's was a runner on the show and heard in the office that they were looking for people and he put my name in a hat. You know, it's not sort of jobs that you get advertised. And then one of the directors, I, I worked on 60 Minute here and there over five years. And one of the directors of that show I got on really well with, she fast forward five years, ended up being the casting director for the Great Interior Design Challenge. So when they were looking for designers on to be judges on that show, and they were sort of like, oh, everyone's a bit too posh and a bit too used to doing up really expensive houses. That was when my friend Jane went, oh, I know someone who's an amazing interior designer, but she doesn't do up rich people's houses. And then she put my name in that hat. So I suppose if you did want to be on TV, what you can do is, you know, stand out, you know, because there's a lot of competition. And this goes across all businesses. 
And then my other bit of advice for anybody wanting to get into TV is when you do get your break and you do get a chance, be really nice and really memorable because you hear about a lot of celebrities being dickheads, but they didn't start out like that. You have to just make really good connections with people and then you never know when your name might come up later on. Now, so that's the telly thing. You know, I haven't got any like brilliant steps, as I say, on, on how to get that TV job. Just stand. It, my, my TV job anyways is being an expert in my field, not presenter. So you've just got to stand out as being brilliant expert in your field. And then. And did you do drama training or did you do theatre no, no. at school or anything? Natural, natural big mouth show off. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say you're naturally a nice person. But yeah, OK, that you can go with that. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you've got to have um, real confidence, because sometimes having a camera put in your face can feel really uncomfortable and awkward. It's not a natural thing. I suppose I've done so much now that I don't even really think about it, which I'm lucky about. But I know, you know, it can make you feel really self-conscious and that doesn't translate well. Interestingly, I suppose if I was starting out now, I'd be doing a YouTube channel. I'd be throwing myself on Instagram stories every day. You know, that's a really great way to get I think you've got to show people what you're capable of, haven't you? And yeah. I think I've got a friend who's desperate to break into telly. And I think that maybe the, the gap that's missing with him is that he's not, he's not, when he is doing YouTube, he's not, he's not putting himself out there and showing the kind of presenting he would like to do. Yeah, that's it. So he's, he's doing more like a diary, you know, like vlogging, but presenters don't vlog. Presenters are experts quite often in in things and they need to show that kind of and that's the same with any brand isn't it you know if, if you're not getting the work you want you show people what you're capable of and it's all about that and I know that tv researchers when they're looking for new talent for shows whether they're looking for the next tv celebrity gardener tv celebrity cook interior designer you know whatever genre it is you know dating expert sex expert my god you know whatever you are you have got to have a really sexy website, a really sexy sort of, you know, front door to your business that stands out from everybody else. And that's why that researcher will think about giving you a phone call. Mm, if you've got a really boring anodyne branding that doesn't say anything exceptional or look at all sexy or cool, then they're just going to swipe past you. So... I mean, obviously, standing out in the crowd has so much more ramifications than just getting a TV break. But that's how people get into telly. They just get found and you have to kind of try and stand out in order to be noticed. So moving on from the telly, because most of us do not want to be on telly. <laughs> most of us, that's the worst <laughs> nightmare. Um, but I think everyone listening would love to have more people approaching them for the kind of work that lights them up. And that's something that has really happened for you over the last couple of years, hasn't it? You've had some amazing collaborations, some great projects. So what has been the catalyst in that? Has it been the fact that you're on telly or has it been something else? So that's a really interesting thing. I have never been busier or earned as much money as I have done this year and maybe last year. And I actually haven't been a regular face on TV now for a couple of years. Design Challenge, when I was fronting it, I think I did my last one in 2016. So it's not just about being on TV. You know, I was on Design Challenge for three years, but I wasn't paying much attention to my business at that time. I was doing a really grueling 14-week filming schedule throughout the whole summer. Um, also desperately trying to have more children around that time, trying to get pregnant. So my career was very much on the back burner anyway. But just 
TV doesn't necessarily open up all these opportunities for you like people think it does. Having said that, it has been a great springboard and it's gained my brand a lot of respect as being an expert in my field. So I'm not dissing it, but I'm not saying it's the golden ticket that's going to make you rich. So the turning point for me was probably autumn 2016, which is quite neatly two years ago. A couple of things happened, actually. I'd say first off, my agent, my TV agent, sat me down and she said, look, I think the future is Instagram and YouTube. Mm. And that's where you're going to make the money, not on telly. You know, she could see how her industry's changing. So I've been on Instagram, but I hadn't been using it with any particular focus. I'd just been whacking the odd random picture on there. So I was like, right, I'm going to take on this Instagram thing. The other thing I'd noticed as well was work in magazines, which had always been my background, was getting slower and slower. And those sort of titles seemed to be shrinking. So you get less styling jobs. Less styling jobs, which I wasn't that unhappy about, actually, because I'd been styling it by that point by, you know, 20 years or something. I felt like it was time to move something on in my career. So I knew I had to take on this Instagram thing. And then around that time, because I was interested in this subject, I bought your book, um, How to Style Your Brand, and went on your Colour for Creatives course, where I learned all about colour psychology, but really learned a lot about how to brand your business. So the big light bulb moment for me around that time and doing work with you was this concept of really niching your business right down to something quite narrow and focused, which went against everything (laughs) previously. So as an interior stylist working across lots of different magazines and titles, I prided myself on the fact that, yes, I could do Scandi, I could do Maximalism, I could do New Ways with Pink, I could do Monochrome, I could do any different look for any different brand. I could do John Lewis, Laura Ashley, you know, Living Etc., Homes and Gardens, whatever. I can do it all. And that was, you know, I was really proud of that. Yeah. But actually, in terms of your own business and brand, that doesn't work at all. No. I also think it's quite terrifying because you can't possibly do all those things to the very, very best with that extra level of flair. Or certainly as a designer, when I had my design agency, it would be the same thing. We we started out priding ourselves on the fact we could go from a lawyer to a cupcake maker to a wedding dress designer to a car tire company. You know, you can do a good job. But I found it impossible to do an exceptional job across all of those things. So I always had this voice in my ear that it wasn't quite good enough. And because you're not immersing yourself in that style, you I don't think you develop as well as you could do if you just follow your inspiration. Did you find that? Oh, my gosh, 100%. So there were two things that happened. First of all, like I said, I was a bit tired and a bit bored of my job. There's so many times you can pack the back of an estate car and drive up to London. You know, (laughs) know, I just it was becoming drudgery. I wasn't in love with it any longer. And since I really don't do that kind of work, I don't do that kind of work anymore. And I haven't done now for well over a year styling to go with another brand's brief. Yeah, I'm doing is brands are coming to me because they want my style. Yeah. And absolutely what you've said the result of that is I produce my best work because it's what yeah. I'm good at I'm good at colorful interior design I get to write my own brief so I can completely you know go for it with real flourish and flair I'm actually really enjoying it again 
So it's a win for the brand. It's a win for me. And yeah, it's made me completely fall in love with my business again. And, and you're so much more efficient, aren't you, when you're playing to your strengths? Yeah, 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 completely. I mean, I'm having to learn, you know, like like I sort of said, I'm tweaking it all the time, getting a little bit more discerning with each project with the clients that I take on to make sure that they are a real fit in terms of what my brand stands for. Because what's happened now is I've built up a really substantial, loyal, beautiful, wonderful, engaged audience who follow me and all the projects that I do on social media. And I want to share with them stuff that they come to me for. And they don't come to me for beige. They really don't. (laughs) No, that's an interesting point, though, isn't it? Because I think I'm actually writing a course on finding brand clarity at the moment. And I think we kind of think that clarity is something that we do and then we're done with. You know, so it would be easy to make the assumption that because you've found your niche in colour, that that's enough. But actually, the really successful people and the really successful businesses are the ones who review after every project and kind of go, okay, well, that was that, you know, was that enough? Did I, would I do that kind of thing again? Could I tighten up any more on, you know, would I take that project on next time? And I think that's what makes your business robust and future-proof, isn't it? That you're constantly refining and you're not just sitting back and saying, well, my thing's colour, so that's enough. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And I think a really good litmus test is how much I've enjoyed it. Yeah. You know, if I've got a project and I've and I've sent off an invoice for a really lovely, fat, juicy fee, <laughs> and I thought, oh, you know, I probably would have done that for nothing. It was yeah. so much fun. Yeah. That's, you know, that's yeah. the real... And it's filling up your year with projects like that, isn't it, really? Yeah. Because the time just flies. You just get, you know, the the projects where I think, oh, I perhaps shouldn't have taken that on, they just drag on and suck the life out of me and the emails (laughs) pop in my inbox and I just get really heavy, like, oh, Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) And it's not their fault. I should just never have said yes to it. Yeah. And it just makes everything literally feel like you're wading through glue and then you get the project that really plays to your strengths that you really love doing and you know you can't wait to open that email yeah. and, reply and yeah. share ideas and thoughts on it and they're the ones that are done in a flash aren't they because they're just so easy so yeah. how easy was it for you to find the strength to say I'm not going to be a jobbing stylist anymore. I'm going to follow my heart and my inspiration and I'm going to be about colour. It's not a quick turnaround. So, you know, I probably kept a few other jobs on the go as I was building up my brand on Instagram. I didn't have like a massively tick off list of goals I wanted. I mean, to begin with, with my Instagram feed, I was like, I need to get 20,000 followers by the end of this year and then I can go to brands for brand collaborations and that's what I thought it was all about two years ago yeah since Instagram isn't about that it's not about (laughs) that big number that sits on the top it's much more than that so Instagram now okay yes I you know I have very engaged followers on there and that attracts brands but it also allows me to market my courses to those people you know, whenever I have a course, I always have somebody who's flown halfway around the world <laughs> to be on it. And I'm always like, oh, how did you know about my course? She's like, I follow you on Instagram. And I'm just like, oh, that's like amazing that somebody from Colorado is yeah. following me. 
Instagram and coming to my little course in London, you know, it blows me away. It's like my little shop front window. You know, every day I post, I'm sort of reminding everybody like, here I am. This is what I'm doing. Yeah. And PRs and brands are watching what I'm up to. So it's keeping in touch with them. And then the other really brilliant thing that I didn't know Instagram was going to be for me was this amazing networking tool of finding like-minded entrepreneurs, like-minded business people, fellow Is this creators. how you met Kate? Watson Smythe? Yeah. Through Instagram. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. I found you on Instagram. I found Kate Watson Smythe, who we now do the podcast with. You know, I do the podcast with. But I mean, you know, hopefully a few people will listen to this one. Yours is just like, whoa. Yeah, no, we've really, we, we put a lot of work into the podcast. Um, and this is quite an interesting point because, again, it was earlier in the year. It was Kate's idea. She came to me and said, you can do a podcast with me. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's just talking, in it? That'd be fine. I'd fit that in. <laughs> it's been absolutely mammoth because, you know, like anything, I don't do it by halves. And we we wanted to have it professionally produced and edited. Therefore, we needed a sponsor to help us pay for that. And then when you have a sponsor on board, they require, you know, expectations. So then it was photo shoots and, you know, all this kind of stuff. But I really admire how you've done that because, you know, I think we can all just sort of pop out a conversation. And I think there's hopefully some merit in doing that. But I really admire how you've done it properly and you've got your sponsor and you've done the PR and you've done the shots. And yeah, they sound amazing. Yeah, it was like a proper big project. But again, I see it as a really another great opportunity. So this is another sort of bit of advice, I guess, I have for people who are working in this crazy world right now where we're all juggling these different portfolio careers is stay fluid and buoyant and move with the time. So, you know, two years ago, someone said to me, it's all about Instagram. And they were so. And now I'm like, well, podcasts seem to be like (laughs) really buzzy thing right now. Maybe we should get on that. And like you say, 100%, if you've got something to stay, say, record it on your iPhone, stick it out there. Yeah. But in Kate, um, we just wanted to differentiate ourselves in the market. We saw that nobody was doing a professionally produced podcast. Yes. And so then, again, it was an opportunity for us to differentiate from everything that had gone before and come out as the first professional interiors podcast. Yeah, and I think it really shows what's inspired me about it is it – it shows me how you think, because I think when you're a spring character to get into the colour psychology, you know, you can be very like, woo! <laughs> yeah. And I think it really shows the grit behind what you do that, you know, it just really inspires me. I really admire it. Oh, no, thanks. But I mean, I do work hard. The, you know, I think it's worth acknowledging that. Yes. That... I work hard. I put in a lot of hours. I invest quite a lot in my business, both in my time and, you know, financially, a lot of what I earn, I plow back into my business because, yeah, I take it really seriously and I take what I do. So, um, yeah, I think you can have fun, but still be very serious about what you do, can't you? Yeah. 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 Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I run it like a proper business. It's not a hobby what I'm doing (laughs) no exactly exactly so one of the things that that um well probably one of the things the thing I think that that definitely has underpinned your podcast and how you come across on your podcast but everything you do is you want people to embrace color a bit more and and kind of not just paint your house gray because it's what everyone else is doing and it you know 
it will go with everything. You know, maybe have a splash yeah. of cushion here or there. Yeah, no, that, that that is my mission, isn't it? I think everybody yeah. needs a mission in life. And that is my mission. And, and not only that, I mean, interestingly, you know, you have lots of influential interior designers. And I sometimes think that they would just like to have a little army of mini-me's follow mm. their way and kind of almost copy their style. Um, that's not and never has been my mission. I mean, I would love people to be more colourful, but they don't have to have unicorn rainbow interiors like that's because what I like. Yeah. <laughs> so I have a very, very strong colour palette and it is very bright. And I know that isn't for, for everybody. So, um, however, I also know that a lot of people, and we know through the work we've done together, don't we, mm. on our colours, okay, there are certain people that grey is right for them. Yeah. And I'm really fine with that. They can go away and do their 50 shades of grey and live in bliss. But I know that there's probably, oh, 80, 90% of people who've got grey because they just don't know what else to have. Yeah. It's like the people that wear black, isn't it? There are some people maybe 10% of the population who look phenomenal in black. Everybody else wears it because it's armour, because it goes with everything. Or they think it actually doesn't go with everything else, but they think it will go with everything else. And it's draining. You can't live to your full potential in black or grey, generally. No, absolutely. And and through the work I've done with the colour workshops, when I see people have those incredible light bulb moments when they when they get in touch with what colours really, really sing and make their heart leap and give them joy, yeah. it's completely life changing. So yeah. I'm, you know interior design is so immersive. You know, you're talking about you're surrounded by this. Yeah. You know, you might have a shittiest day at work, you come home to your grey house, like really, is that honestly what's gonna lift you up at the end yeah. of of the day so I'm really passionate about people finding not just their color palette but their own sense of style and getting away from the beige and the catalogue look and all of that kind of stuff because it just can really it's just emotionally uplifting it's positive it's celebrating people's creativity it's all those things yeah I think it's the finding your own sense of style that's key because every time we run a workshop together for the the professional interior designers we quite often get people saying I want my clients to be braver and that sends chills down my spine in a bad way because I think it's not about kind of pulling down this riot of colour over someone's home that just that just wants a sanctuary you do know what I mean I think it's it's about kind of pulling together colours that support someone isn't it that make them feel I mean you're in Arthur's beautiful bedroom I just love it that sort of orangey red is beautiful and the turquoise I know for my Jasper who's a quieter boy that wouldn't support him you know he's got softer colours which make him feel like himself but it's about creating a a palette that people feel nurtured in isn't it and feel most at home so if you're terrified of colour or your clients are terrified of colour where would you say they should start? I think you've got to open up a real conversation. I mean, I think it's really interesting when people say, I don't know what colour to paint my living room or their whole house is beige or whatever. And you go in their wardrobe, there'll be all sorts of things going on in the wardrobe or in the jewel. Or they might have this incredible collection of brightly coloured nail polishes. And what we know with our work with colour psychology is everyone's attracted to a different family of tonal colours, whether it's pale pastels or rich dual intense colours or sharp brights or all those muted fur and bawdy grey colours. You know, everybody has 
I think, a subliminal color palette that yeah. they love. And kind of working that out and looking, what am I drawn to? What fashion am I drawn to? What paintings am I drawn, drawn to artwork? Um, I think when you look at a whole room, people just get really freaked out and frightened mm-hmm. and think it's all so expensive and such a big investment. Um, but when you look on a smaller scale, that can be really, really helpful, I think. And then the second bit question to ask yourself, which is something both of us work with quite a lot, isn't it, on our workshops, is to get away from the look. How, you know, everyone's like, oh, I want my room to look Scandi. Oh, I my want goodness. My yeah, 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 yeah. Or whatever it is, you know, French chateau, mm. whatever look they want to like hang their style onto. Much better to think, no, okay, what am I doing in this room? What's it used for? Who's going to be in here? And how do we want to feel? Yeah. And then just educate yourself a bit, learn, you know, read our blogs, read the books, educate yourself a little bit on what colours will help to create that feeling. I think, and certainly in the workshops that we run for the professionals, it's quite a revelation isn't it to talk about feeling so how does your client want the room to feel and it's something people really struggle with actually they you know they come to us and they they haven't really known how to ask those questions of how a room should feel and yet what it does I think is completely emancipates you as a designer so instead of a client getting hung up on you know a particular shape of sofa or a particular color palette it gives you as a designer free reign to say well you wanted your room to feel I don't know uplifting inspiring and fun this is my mood board for how we're going to do it it kind of it allows you to be the designer again doesn't it yeah and it makes sense to people too so you know really big problem um, I know that a lot of the people who come on my workshop have is how to get that other half on board who yes. all the time yeah oh, well, I really want this canary yellow sofa, but the husband won't let me. He says, we've got to go for grey. Yeah. And it's because, the, you know, the partner doesn't understand the design process and yeah. just thinks you're random and clutching, like, mm. random out of thin air, and that freaks them out. If you can take someone through a process, go, okay, this is the room, this is what it needs to do, this is how it needs to feel, and this is how we're going to interpret that with a mood board yeah. or, you know, a presentation then someone will be like all oh, right yeah yellow sofa yeah that would make the room feel really happy and uplifting yeah mm. I get it you know there has to be a design journey you know everything we've talked about in terms of interiors I think translates really well to branding what about the people that are very Pinterest heavy so how would you you know Pinterest is a bit of a blessing and a curse isn't it where do you sit on the line of that well, I mean, I use it. I think it's a phenomenal, fantastic visual search engine. Um, whenever I've got a project on the go, I'm straight on there. Yeah. Um, but then I edit down from that. So, you know, I might have a board for a room. It might have between 50 and 100 pins on it. Yeah. But I'll take a maximum of five of those key pins to then print out and put on my mood board. It's all about the editing process. Mm. So Pinterest is almost like your initial mass research then you've got to start dissecting why you like those images. What is it about them? You know, why do you like those huge, massive, crittle windows? You know, yeah. you know, what is it about? Is it the connection to the outside? Okay, well, you need to start thinking of the garden side beyond that window as well. You know, you've got to start dissecting these images and not just try and copy them. Because if yes. you just try an image on Pinterest, you are going to be disappointed, I guarantee it. Yeah. So the last thing I think, well, no, a couple of things actually earrings you are known for your wild sense of style yeah I do like a big earring how do the ears cope oh yeah no they don't actually 
especially when I'm filming, like a lot of the earrings I wear are designed for like one evening out. Yeah. And quite often, for continuity reasons, I have to wear the same pair for three days solidly. Oh. And yeah, it hurts. Yeah. I really you suffer. Is that, <laughs> is that one thing you wish you hadn't done? Yeah, exactly. But, no, but it's interesting, you know, those earrings are there for a reason. I mean, when I was doing Design Challenge, the commissioner at BBC Two sort of mentioned, oh, we'd really like Sophie and Dan to wear really colourful clothes. Yeah. And that actually came as an instruction. And obviously for me, I was like, well, that's clearly not a problem. But people did start really picking up on the fact that I'd wear these really big earrings and they yeah. became... And now it's got to the point that if I turn up to an event without them, people are really like, oh... You're not wearing your earrings. <laughs> <laughs> so it's become like a bit of a moniker, if you like. And I suppose, again, this this does tie in, actually, with that whole thing of being memorable, standing out from the crowd. Yeah. Different, wear the biggest pair of earrings imaginable, and people remember who you are. Definitely. And that's so in the industry. Yeah. Excellent. So what is next, Sophie Robinson? Oh, so next, okay, so next, right, so loads of people keep asking me to write a book on colour, and it's been on my list of to-do things forever and a day, but I've actually carved out some time now, but drumroll is I'm not going to write a book. I've decided, again, this is me moving with the times, thinking, well, I don't think books where it's at. I'm going to put my knowledge and know-how onto online courses instead. Excellent. So that's, I've carved some time out of the diary now for the rest of this year and in January, which typically is a bit of a quieter time for me and in terms of events and hosting and stuff. And I'm going to run, I think my first one, I haven't come up with a title for it, but it's going to be sharing my design process, how I get from an initial thought and idea and inspiration and carry that through into a final design scheme. That's what I want to share. But I just want to help people colour scheme, make design choices, get more confident. Um, it's something I get asked on my Instagram feed every day. Yeah. An online course, boom, it's yeah. all there. Amazing. Amazing. I cannot wait. I'll be signing up. <laughs> I haven't even got anything to decorate, but I think it'd be interesting. <laughs> I'll make you do it all over again. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Sophie. It's been really lovely to have you. Amazing tips in there. So thank you. No, it's been gorgeous. Like I said, always lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much. (laughs) You've been listening to a podcast from The Brand Stylist. You can find out more about The Brand Stylist as well as access dozens of really useful branding resources at thebrand-stylist.com. You can also find me on Instagram, thebrand-stylist. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please, please, please do leave me a comment. Thank you very much.